you can get really into ready, fire, aim. If you're just focusing on the tactics, make sure that everything that you do ties back to a specific strategy that is written down that your entire leadership team agrees upon. And then those tactics make a lot more sense. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Welcome to another episode of Leaders of B2B. I'm Ledge, your co-host. As you know, I'm a managing partner and co-founder of Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution and rev ops for B2B services and tech companies. My guest today is Trent Whatcott. He's the co-founder and co-CEO. I want to dig into that during the interview of Alarm Hive. Trent, welcome. It's cool to have you. Would you just give maybe a, a couple minute introduction of uh, yourself and Alarm Hive for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. We feel really good about what we're doing and we want to tell the world. So um, Alarm Hive, if you trace the story back to its very, very genesis, it's uh, it started with two girls in high school. One was a newcomer and one was a, a girl who saw this, you know, I picture this girl standing at her locker, like nervous about her her new experience in high school. This girl comes up and, and befriends her. And to make a very long story short, they work together in in, in SaaS and in security, you know, the alarm industry for several years. And along the way, they began to gather people that they liked to work with and worked on various projects. When they were working with one company, they ran into the other co-founder, Richard Brimhall, who is my partner, and he was currently running an alarm installation company. They had were doing about 5,000 installations a month, so they were huge. And he was really frustrated by what CRM-type offerings were available in this market. Most of them were started by a dealer who needed to be able to track his business and so he either hired somebody or sat down and figured out, you know, in, in Visual Basic or you know, even some on a spreadsheet, how to track their transactions from the time somebody says, yes, I want an alarm installed until their installer leaves the house and the billing continues. But what they were what they were finding is that, well, my gosh, this is working for me. Let me try to monetize this. And so they were packaging them and then selling the software that they had created. The problem was, and, and this is what frustrated Richard the most, was these 
systems didn't align with other workflows. And everybody who installs an alarm system goes about in a very different way. The way they track their inventory, the way they track where their trucks are, where their installers are, um, the inventory that's on the truck. I mean, the whole thing is so different from one dealer to another. And so he would find that he have to use, you know, six to eight different pieces of software in order to make it work. And he was really frustrated. So this is when he met these two girls. Their names are, are Quinky and Jody. Quinky is currently our COO, and Jody is over our Hive Leader team, which brings up questions every time, so we'll, we'll go into that in time, too. And then along the way, they collected more colleagues that they enjoyed working with, and I ran into them about six years ago. We worked for the same venture investment company. They worked for one of the companies, and I worked for the venture investment firm, overseeing the marketing for all of the companies that they were that they were bringing on board. And I met Winky, Jody, Richard, Hannah, all the people that are on our team now, and we started talking about what we could do outside of what these venture investment firms were doing. And because of their background in security and their knowledge of, you know, SaaS applications and how to get those off the ground, Richard called me one day and he said, look, we, we can, we can do this on our own. And I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I consider myself unemployable. I just, I, I like things done the way I like them. And I like being able to choose the team that I work with and, you know, I'm riddled with ADD. And so if there is something bright and shiny, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of, you know, a cog in a wheel. So it really excited me. And I knew of Richard's product development expertise and of, of Quinky's operations management expertise. And we went for it. This was, gosh, three years ago. And we we found our our other team members that we wanted to work with. This has been a complete team process. I mean, Richard and I are the co-founders, but it's really a co it's really a founding team of people with lots of different areas of expertise. And we all worked for free for two years. I mean, we all had different things going on. I didn't, I was working solely on this, but the rest of the team had other things that they were doing. And then all of their spare time, they dedicated to Alarm Hive until we got to the point where our software was close to MVP and just about ready to launch, which was right at the time that we all got sent home, sent to our rooms. And we were able to launch with this incredible team of people in the middle of a pandemic. And it's, it, you know, we're, we're coming up on a year into sort of our, our coming out party. And we've just, we've grown in leaps and bounds. The development has been amazing and we love this industry. So we're ready to, to really get as many customers as we possibly can. Hey, I know that story. Yeah. I think we all like that, you know, as many customers as we can bring on. Absolutely. Um, so you, you talked about just to, so we're clear, it's, alarm industry being home alarms or is that is that anywhere that has 
an alarm system. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing it's it's sort of like what I would know as uh, I don't know, the, the shield in the yard, right? Or you know, mm-hmm. one of those things. I don't know a lot about the industry, so yeah. So what we, we focus on. Um, so there, there are, are groups that are part of a dealer program, which is like ADT and Brinks and Monotronics um, and Vivint. That's a huge one now. And they do good things, but their model doesn't fit our model. So we go after the independent dealers anywhere between, you know, a hundred and, and a couple thousand installs a month. They install the system and then they've got to go find a third party monitoring company to monitor that alarm for them. But they keep their contract with their customer and they're the ones that build the customer. So it doesn't go to ADT or Monotronics or those, those big guys. These are people that they are very, very much of an entrepreneurial mindset and um, they want to run things their own way. So that's our our bread and butter is that customer. So how there's got, I guess there's a lot of these because you hear about the big dogs sort of advertising, but I guess there's a lot of these folks. If you, if you felt, I mean, certainly you're dealing with a niche, but it's obviously a large enough niche to, to service, you know, with a SaaS product. I personally love niche SaaS products because you know who your customer is and you know who your customer isn't. Yep. Oh, 100%. So there are about 11,000 independent installers in the U S that number blew my mind because I was like, well, divide that by 50. Is is the country big enough for that? But sure enough, I mean, this is an industry that even with, you know, Simply Safe and those that you can buy at Home Depot and install yourself, this industry has still grown 10 to 15% year over year since Simply Safe and those came out. So it's it's a huge, huge industry, millions and millions possibly billions of dollars of revenue that are out there for, you know, these, these 10,000, 11,000 dealers to share. So yeah, it's, it's a very, very niche market. We, we did that on purpose and um, we can get into more of why we did that, but it's, I mean, I hate the word, the term mom and pop because it's, it's not, but they are definitely part of it, but some very, very large companies just want to chart their own destiny. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about the path of what I believe is now you were talking about bootstrapping instead of mm-hmm. venture. Yeah. And you talked about building it on the, on sort of the, the sweat equity type of, you know, side hustle kind of, we don't get paid model. I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included that have have been there doing that in a SaaS and technical product that that needs to scale is even more difficult than a you know, service only business. So talk talk about those two things because you know having access to people it sounds like that are venture you know related that you mm-hmm. could have gone that mm-hmm. route. You yeah. chose to bootstrap and you chose to side hustle and sort of you know uh, get things together. So uh, what's that story like? Lessons learned there. Yes. And the lesson that we learned is use your own money first and and get it to a point where you've got your MVP, outsource your development, but but with a group that you trust. And I mean, this sounds horrible. And, and, and I say this saying that we are about to start our first round of capital. So 
I, I don't want to sound like I'm going back on what I'm saying, but we felt like we knew the industry. We're a software company first. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're not developing this like other applications have been developed before. We, we are a SaaS company first that just so happens to serve the alarm industry. But we also realized that because it is so niche, it could be hard to go out and get capital without proving yourself first. So we're, we're about a million dollars in. We do have some quasi-investors. Uh, we have not given up any equity to these investors. They're people that believe in us or a person who believes in us and um, some of our own our own capital. And, you know, we've, that's given us exactly what we need to get us to the point where we could start bringing in revenue. Now, when we brought in revenue, we, we are very wedded to the agile scrum process. So we launched an MVP and then every two weeks we do a sprint with our dev team and new features are added. You know, of course you have your bug fixes, but new features are added, but it's completely based on a software application we use that reaches out to the market. They can share their ideas. They can tell us what they need. They can tell us what they see that's missing. And then everybody else who's a customer or potential customer can go into that application and upvote or downvote all of these features. So we are building this not based on a few beta customers, but on numerous customers who all have different issues that they face and can share those issues. And then the rest of the group can go in there and upvote, downvote. And we determine from that what we add to our roadmap. We have our list of, of things that we wanted to include from the beginning, but then we add based on what the market is telling us, not just a few big beta users that we're out to, to satisfy. We want everybody along the way to have say into what is going to, to help them. So yeah, it's, it, it, it is a little bit of a bootstrappy feel. It was definitely bootstrapping for a couple of years. It's, it's kind of moved into a, a little bit of VC, but it's been just private. And, and we're now considering that, that first round of, of VC. So that's kind of where we are. It's kind of this hybrid mix that we just wanted to do this on our own and figure right, yeah. it out. So you, you sort of prevented having to give away a whole lot of your company because you validated the concept, you got to where you were making sufficient revenue, mm-hmm. and then you can take money to scale, which is right. really going to be a sales and, and marketing type of, of scaling effort. But you already have a machine in place that can make money. So many times we see founders trying to take money so early to you know build and validate the concept. And you know, that's a quite a bit more expensive on your, on your cap table and not to mention on your, on your hairline. Yep. So yep. what, yep. what is the way that you're managing this uh, community feedback for the, the product? Is there a, a, a specific tool that you use or did you build it or? Yeah. And I never can remember the name. If it comes to <laughs> mind, I will, I'll jump in with it. It's, um, uh, user voice. No. Yes. Is it user voice? We started with one. And they went to another one that better integrated with with Microsoft Azure. I, I think it's currently user voice that we're using. Both of them are great. So if user voice works for somebody and they want to try it, 
have at it, but we wanted something that tightly integrated with our dev team so they could see what people were saying as well. And they weren't just depending upon us going in and looking and making sure our CTO can see it and, and help make a case for something that he wants to be able to include as well. You know, so do you kind of adjudicate that as a, as a team? Because there are a lot of things that customers might say, you know, I really want this whiz bang, amazing thing, and they're going to vote it up. But you kind of go like outside of our vision, you know, it's, it's true. Like, but we're not going to build a Microsoft office competitor to bolt on to this (laughs) or, you know, there's other ways to solve that problem. What a user thinks might be a feature might actually just be an API hook that you say, you know, we're going to expose that so you can hook it up to Zapier or or something. So does does that happen? Like that you have to kind of protect yourself from the community? You know, that's a lot of power. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, that's the beauty of, I'm going to call it user voice. I'm pretty sure that's it, but it's it they can upvote and downvote so it remains anonymous who has voted and we we vote as well so if it's something that that you know just isn't on a roadmap and you know i i loved a, a lot of things about steve jobs and the way he went about building apple but one of the things i loved about him is he hated focus grouping because he he knew that people didn't necessarily know what it's in fact my favorite quote is is henry ford who said if i had asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses and he had a completely different vision so we we control that by allowing them to be able to voice what it is that they would like and and they can do that anonymous anonymously if they would like as well but then we as a team can vote and our other customers and you know test users and potential customers have that ability to upvote or downvote and it balances that way if if somebody throws out something that's just out there and they expect that it's going to be in there that's not really how it works they they can have their voice but then everybody else can have the voice based on what it is that they've said it works out really really well for us so I read all your stuff online and mm-hmm. you are a self-proclaimed lifetime marketer. I am. You talk a lot like a product guy and uh, a tech guy as well. And that doesn't surprise me being a sort of a serial founder as well. But, I, you know, so I wonder when you think about that marketing hat and then the product hat and the technology hat and the co-founder hat and whatever co-CEO role you have to have, I imagine you guys split up some kind of operational and financial burden there. Yes. Uh, you know, how's that all fit together? Talk about day-to-day and, you know, sort of management of the whole thing. So my partner, Richard, is the product development guy. And I've learned a ton from him. I've got to give him credit. This is his baby. He, you know, he is the one who had the mind to build something like this. And, and it's so different than anything else that's on the market. And one of, one of the points that he brought out is that customers need to be able to tailor this so that it does fit with their workflow. So anybody can use it. He's really the one who is behind, he is the one and our CTO behind the development. So that's, that is, it it sort of splits, our responsibilities sort of split based on our expertise. So what falls 
uh, under under me is the funnel, essentially. You, you know, from the very top with you know the the social marketing, everything that our marketing department does, all the way down to the point where we've got the customer ready to be onboarded, and then then it shifts to Richard. And also Quinky is over operations. So she oversees all of our, you know, customer service, our onboarding and all of that, sort of that middle. And then Richard is over development. So it actually, it, it splits up nicely. We couldn't agree on what titles and we don't care about titles. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, Richard and I are very, very close. And we just said, let's just call each other co-CEOs it doesn't really matter, but I am a marketer at heart. It's what I've done my entire career. I've known I wanted to do it since I was a little kid, even though I didn't know what it was called. It's 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 what I, I love to do. So I will say, though, that Hannah, who is over our marketing, who has no college training, no background, is a far better marketer than I am. <laughs> I, I'm good with... You know, the spreadsheets, the marketing research, the consumer behavior, all of the boring stuff. And I would put her creative sort of that IMC side of marketing up against anybody. She is phenomenal. So I, I don't really have to do a lot, you know, give her a lot of, you know, feedback on verbiage and stuff like that. But she is phenomenal. Y'all did a, a really good job with branding. You know, you don't often see that deep of a, a branding effort, you know, across copy, across, I encourage the listener, go go look at alarmhive.com. They've done some really cool stuff and they've stuck to the brand on everything they do. Absolutely. And they got this, they got the colony and the hive and all this stuff. <laughs> and so I, uh, I like that a lot. And I thought that was really well done. Thank you. And it's it's not it's not common that you see that. So I love that distinction. And you just described really what is is functionally the the CRO role in many cases mm -hmm. would be the chief yeah. revenue officer. Yep. So yep. you get to be a data and money guy and close those deals and bring in and manage the cohort. And realizing that the marketing is the full management of that branding and messaging and all those things, it, it typically is not all just you know one role. So yeah, you yeah. totally get that. And I think. The important thing maybe for the listener to take away would then be that, you know, that no matter what you call it, there are distinct buckets of really important things that need to happen at the company and make sure that somebody is responsible and is the clean owner of, of each of those things. So yes. you know, that I think is is really important. And I hear that more from multi-time founders than, than I do from people who are just kind of starting out and you can miss, you, you can pick up a lot of the flashy branding things, maybe some of the sales, you know, a lot of the product stuff, everybody wants that seat, you know, but, but you miss some of that really tactical, you know, operation side of each of those, those functions when you haven't done it before. So that's what I yeah. think people ought to pay attention to. And, and so a piece of advice that I would throw out is make sure that every tactic that you employ fits under a strategy of some kind. It, it, it can get, you can get really into ready, fire, aim. If you're just focusing on the tactics, make sure that everything that you do ties back to a specific strategy that is written down that your entire leadership team agrees upon 
And then those tactics make a lot more sense. Do you guys use any particular system for that? Uh, for example, our business, we run EOS. We do a lot of the traction sort of Geno style stuff. I wonder, do, do you have any particular system that you like to use uh, for running and keeping track of the company or sort of homegrown? We have this one. You may not have heard it before. It's called Excel made by this company called Microsoft out of Seattle. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, so we do use Microsoft Dynamics, um, and it's it's a very broad piece of software that you know you can run your entire business on. We use it for our own CRM, and and we use we use it for our our marketing as well. But a lot of it is just uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of Teams communication, Excel, Dynamics nothing really all that revolutionary. We know they're out there and we may change to something that really focuses on that in time. But for now, those simple applications are working for us. And how do you align all the strategy stuff? Where does that all, all live? Just you know, a bunch of documents type of thing? And how do you keep it all lined up for make sure everybody's you know targeting the right stuff as a team? It's, uh, it resides on a living, breathing business plan. I, I hear this debate now that business plans are old and that marketing plans are old and that they slow you down. Well, that could be true if if it's not a living document. We we it's in Word and we tie in any tactical spreadsheets together. Every tactic has a strategy that whatever the tactic is, who the holder of that strategy is, when it's due, it's very easy to track. And we're constantly going back to that document to make sure that we're on the, the track that we were on when everybody agreed to what it is that we're doing. Sure. Yeah. So maybe like a quarterly update type mm -hmm. of thing and making sure that, isn't it amazing how you can make a plan and just go like, wow, that, that is completely wrong now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. having written it down, I think writing it down and discussing it is the real the real thing. It isn't that a written plan is wrong. It's the act of having written and discussed that will get you to where you need to go and rediscuss, which is really that agile sort of mindset. Mm -hmm. It's just from a, you know, that management uh, perspective. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you the, the, the versions of this document that there were before we brought this out are numerous. And the, the area that we struggled with most is pricing. It's really hard to to figure it out with something that exists on servers. What is what is that worth to the customer? And we saw everything from you know one forty nine a month, and then there's all of these add ons. You know, if you want to be able to store your docs, you got a terabyte that's X per month, and you know by the end of it, they're paying thousands of dollars a month, and in our own experience, what we felt like, you know, we've tried a lot of different pieces of software and we've done all of these trials and we've, in the end, you know, you, you build this package up to where it's so huge and then you don't use it. And that was what we wanted to avoid because we know of, of our of customers that are paying thousands every month and not getting the full usage out of it. So, well, you're, you're, uh, you're Microsoft enterprise customers. So, you know, a little bit about that model and oh, yeah. I would say the sales Salesforce and, yep. you know, others. And, um, 
I mean, we're big advocates. Look, there are great software packages, but yeah, you, you need to, to pay and you need to be real careful about what you turn on and lock yourself yeah. into. So, you know, from a customer service perspective, it makes a lot of sense to, if you want to take care of your customers to, you know, try to, <laughs> to figure that out and, you know, make a pricing model that's kind of clean to everybody. Right, so. right. And let me just say, I'm, I'm not the fan of Microsoft in the company. <laughs> I think there could have been way more efficient ways to do it, but we did want everything to align tightly. And because our development is so tightly integrated with Azure, it just made sense. But I know there's stuff we're paying for that we are not using. So you know, we advocate it for our customers, but we don't do it ourselves. So, you know, I guess that's on us. But uh, yeah, pricing was really, really hard. And what we decided in the long run is let's just give them the software and not charge a, you know, like this monthly, you know, price to use our software because we incorporate billing and we feel like it is, it's our goal to our customers, it's our responsibility to our customers to help them grow their recurring monthly revenue. And it puts the onus 100% on us because we charge a percentage of the transactions that run through our system. That's how we make our money. And so we have a team of people who, it's the hive leaders I was telling you about, that we, we assign them no more than 50 clients that can fluctuate based on when we hire people and if people leave, but they have a manager who can take them on as well. Their job solely is to help close customers and then improve those customers RMR in every way possible. If it's marketing help that they need, if it's ideas that they need, if it's, you know, convincing the customer who still wants to write a $50 check and mail it in every month that it's so more efficient to them to just put it on ACH. But that, because that's how we make our money, those hive leaders are so important to the organization and they have internalized how to bring customers into our hive and make sure that they're 100% satisfied and that they stay sticky. Yeah, so you're really aligned with growing the customer's business yeah. for them, and uh, you know one of my one of my key laws of the universe. You know, I, I think that nobody cares about anything except growing sales. Yeah, and you know the software pitch that well we're going to reduce your costs and we're going to do all this and we're going to you know do all that, and I think that's a secondary concern and that's good, but uh, the reality is that uh, everybody wants to grow revenue and I, I totally relate to your philosophy and, and it's really a packaging and, and business model scenario far more even just than the pricing mm -hmm. that you really just said well it's not a pricing concern what this really is is what's the best thing for our customers to grow their business if we can participate in that growth then that's aligned and it's it's good for everybody yep and we know that that software is not going to just sit on their computer with a you know, a username and password that's not used because that those hive leaders are there to guide them through any part of the process that they need help with. So, and if they don't grow, you don't grow. So it's a well-aligned yep. scenario. Yep. It lit a fire under us. So it's, yeah, it's different, but it's, it's definitely resounded in the market. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that really stands yeah. out. So what's, 
what's next, uh, path for growth, ideas, you know, vision for yourself and the industry, you know, just give me a, a finishing sort of look at, at where you guys are going and, and what you see is, is coming up, you know, in this year and next year. I don't want to do the whole like 2020 is over, you know, and pandemic and the whole thing. Cause I think everybody has it for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a business vision of its own, you know, even without that. And, sure. and you know, so when we think of new normal, because it's just, it's just business, you know, what's, what's next for you all. So, you know, the beauty of agile is you grow two weeks at a time and you know, a year from now, our, our product will have features that we may have never even dreamed of, but our goal is to continue to build relationships with our customers, to bring them into the hive. And obviously our goal is to overuse the B theme as much as we possibly can, but we know that the growth is there. You know, our, we do live in a crazy world right now and people are feeling insecure in their home or in their business, you know, and, and we cover commercial fire too. And there's, you know, there are issues there as well with that, but, you know, we, we anticipate significant growth for our customer and because people it's, it's a strange place out there, you know, outside the door. So, we expect that this industry will continue to grow and that we'll be able to provide software to people that can get out there and help people feel more secure. That shows no sign of slowing down. So as long as we're out serving the market, we're working with the dealers. We're also working with the monitoring stations. You know, that's our first line of, of approach is these monitoring stations who have 500 to 2,000 dealers that they monitor for. You know, it's it's a lot easier to contact 500 people with one call than, you know, one person with 500 different calls. So the the growth trajectory is there. We are, as I said, we're, you know, we're almost at the point where we're going to start looking for capital so that we can grow that much more quickly. You know, with every every monitoring company that we bring on, we have to integrate with their system. So that is a significant expense, but we want to be able to offer that to every single monitoring company that we can. And once that's done, it's, it's just that much easier to go out and, and market to all of these tens of thousands of dealers. So that's what's on the horizon for us. We are not looking to go into any other markets at this time, but we reserve the right to once we've gotten this one settled. But we really want to focus on this one first and and get it right and then potentially go into some others. I mean, this, this software could be used anywhere. Anything is installed and an inventory is held and customers are targeted. So it's, it's wise. It's wise to focus, though, right? If yeah. Doing all things for all people is a is a marketing and sales nightmare. Yep, so absolutely. It's wise to to focus on that. And I, I love the aggregator approach where, you know, hey, you know, look, 500 of my potential clients are all talking to the same guy. I really want to know that guy. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And the beauty is we let them be the hero. You know, when we say we we provide the software at no charge, we that's through the monitoring company. So they can go out and they can say, we've, we have structured a deal with AlarmHive to be able to offer you this at no charge. And they're constantly looking for ways to help that dealer grow their business because it's in their best interest as well. 
Well, Trent, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, talk founder stuff, talk alarm stuff, where do, where do they do it? And, you know, what's the best way? Yeah, so um, T-Hwatcott, so that's T-W-H-A-T-C-O-T-T at alarmhive.com. I do have an office line, but I don't ever use it. I don't know what the number is. So just text me, call myself 702-419-6824. That's 702-419-6824. Those are the, the best ways to reach out. Obviously, LinkedIn, I'd love to connect with anybody who would like to. Conversation can happen there. As Ledge, as you know, um, I mean, that's how we were connected. I think there's a lot of value there too. So just look up my name. There aren't very many Trent Watcots in the world. As far as I know, I'm the only one. So you can find me pretty easily on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody. Love to, you know, pick each other's brains and see what we can figure out and talk about what we've done wrong and crap cry on each other's shoulder if we want to whatever needs to happen because this is a you know uh, it's a messy world and it can be a lonely island being an entrepreneur you spend half your life feeling like you're a fraud so i'm i'm happy to talk to anybody and i would hope that they would reciprocate that as well because I figured out some things, but there's a lot out there that I don't know. You just wrapped up the founder experience with a nice <laughs> bow on it. So I, I'm, I'm completely going to agree and I will, I will leave it there. Trent, thanks for coming on. This is so informative. I yeah, love it. Great, you. great conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ledge. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.